Hi, this is Alan Watt, and it is November the 3rd, 2006. This talk is to do with psycholinguistics. It's the art of the use of words, repeat, repetition of scientifically uh, aligned words and phrases which alter your behavior. It's a well-understood science at the top. It's implemented from an all media every day. The public are completely unaware of it, really, but they certainly are downloaded with the ideas that are produced and they act it out, they bring it out into their behavior, they act it out into reality. So psycholinguistics is the term used. Very, very ancient science, well understood. And before I continue, I'd like to mention that this talk will be recorded and passed around, and for those who receive it on a disc or a tape or whatever, please check into the website cuttingthroughthematrix.com and check out all the other talks that are available there. Check out the books, CDs, and DVDs for sale. And I'll be glad to hear from you because it keeps me going. It'll pay for the site and all the other costs involved. Thank you. Smile, an everlasting smile A smile can bring you near to me Don't ever let me find you gone Cause that would bring a tear to me This world has lost its glory Let's start a brand new story now, my love Right now, there'll be no other time And I can show you how, my love Talk in everlasting words and dedicate them all to me And I will give you all my life I'm here if you should call to me You think that I don't even mean A single word I say are all I have to take your heart away So to continue with psycholinguistics we find that when the communist party arose to power they had access to much of this information because their job was to act like the two horns of the bull, there one side was them, one side was the so-called supposed existing capitalist system, the laissez-faire. In reality, the bankers were the capstone. And their job of the Communist Party was to alter uh, society. It was the fastest method of creating a, a, a centralized form of government and law regulations. And with the takeovers of other countries, uh, mainly in Europe, so many small countries living side by side with different languages, uh, variations on cultures, different government systems, it was the fastest way to amalgamate them into the one system in preparation for joining with the West at the right time. People um, don't realize that the two pillars the, and the fire and the water and that the two opposites are always used to create a third way, as they call it, the third way, the solution, the synthesis of the whole idea. Now, in the beginning was the Word. The Word didn't create anything. The Word, the word esoterically uh, created the big idea. The big idea was the abstract form, unformulated chaos, 
see, but wisdom was behind it, so the serpent moved over the waters. This is the esoteric understanding, as it's always been pre-Christian, pre-Judaism, pre-most of the religions you know, in fact. And so you have the unformed idea, but wisdom is behind it. It's the big idea as it's expressed in high Freemasonry, in the high esoteric circles. The word is to formulate it, to speak it into existence. You create a system, a world, a perception by speaking it into existence and through repetition thereafter. Using the tribal systems, if you get the ones at the tops of the tribes or the kings and the queens, that's why kings and queens were invented and given to the public as a showpiece. Whatever they say or do, the people down below emulate, whether it's what they say or the accent to use as in England, which is actually a corrupt form of English because the, the Germans brought it in with them, with George and the, the modern-day Queen, or Elizabeth, Elizabethan. Queen's English is actually a corruption of English uh, because he couldn't speak English very well. Now it's the norm at the top. So the people down below emulate what they see at the top. It doesn't mean that what you're and perception becomes reality for the public, but it's not the, the true reality. It's a show for the public. The word is spoken into existence. Now we see the, the communists, as I say, who, who wrote more about this technique because they've been heavily trained by the esoteric groups who'd already ruled the world for thousands and thousands of years. And they were taught some of these sciences at the top. And Lenin said, we shall win by slogans, the repetition of slogans. And the idea was to divide and conquer all the existing structures within society, within humanity, divide the generations from each other, uh, divide, not only separate the generations, but actually make each one think and, and interact only with their own as they grow up and then mature throughout their life. They wouldn't mix with either group below or above. Interesting how detailed it was. And this works to, to the present day. We don't look towards anyone younger for wisdom. We don't look to anyone older for wisdom. We sort of just float through our particular little uh, avenue we're given uh, and we're, we're, we're disassociated with everyone else around us. We also find the use of slogans, as I say, uh, don't trust anyone over 30, then they kept dropping it and dropping it. And that was first put out by the Communist Party within the United States. It worked very well. We find the same slogans used to silence anyone with an, with who is investigating the system as they see it at the time. And they're either called a Nazi or uh, an anti-Semite or a Zionist. And it's slogan silence the person who's who's inquiring, you see. And it can be very innocent to the, the inquiry itself, but to silence you is to get a response, a guilt response in you, a conditioned reflexed guilt response, so that you shut down and, and you don't you don't even question yourself why you're shutting down. Uh, these are silencing techniques which were well understood again thousands of years ago. If you said anti-priest at one time in the Middle Ages, you may have been burned at the stake. So it doesn't matter what group you've identified with culturally or, or, or you've adopted. Um, slogans can be used against you uh, and your own affiliation with the group you, you, you think you put yourself into will help to silence you. It's best to be a loner and to think for yourself and don't let any name-calling uh, put you off the track that you're on. Even if you find out it's only a false herring, it's a false lead, a red herring, still persist, because you have to go through all of the maze of, of disinformation front groups to, to get to the truth in anything. And then you find they're all controlled at the top anyway by the same bunch. It's interesting that so much of the Nazi philosophy which was taken from social Darwinism and the Superman complex that they, they came up with. You, you create this race of Superman through science and all of the Blavatsky Masonic type um, symbology adopted by the Nazi group 
and the Knights Templar uh, um, uh, affiliations with it and uh, the, the Germanic Knights, etc. All of this is held together at the top by the same esoteric group, one at, one at the very top. And a lot of it was taken from Talmud and Kabbalah, the Jewish side of things. So there's your irony, you see, that so much of this this um, esoteric, um, magical searching, you might say, this destiny thing, came from Kabbalah, and ended up, ended up turning against the people who thought they owned it. This is a, a, a tremendous uh, part of the science as well, is that you become that which you hate. You become that which you hate. This is a truth that's always been eternal, always will be eternal. It is eternal. You become that which you hate. The parent that you don't identify with, the parent that you can describe so well as to why you hate them, um, you become. The hate will eat you up and you'll find yourself responding to others as your mother or your father would in that situation. It's the same thing with, with those who began to hate the whole German people for World War II. We can see it in places like Israel in the way they look upon the Arabs. And you, you say, well, what's the difference now? What's the difference in the Nazi philosophy where one thinks they're superior over the other? So, so you, can, you become that which you hate. And that's why hate, which is encouraged in the system by those at the top, they're very good at getting everyone to hate everyone else, to get the certain whites to hate the blacks and certain blacks to hate the whites and, and, and Chinese and India and so on. And it goes on and on and on. And through this division and conquering, they can always stir it up when need be and, and uh, then come in with their solutions and totalitarian rules because the law system which runs everything must constantly be reinforced, propped up and given more power in the structural pyramid system. To give a, an easy example of psycholinguistics, you, and the best way to, to get it through to the public is either through official repetition, through media news, uh, politicians do it all the time, as you come up with neologisms, and uh, repetitive phrases, weapons of mass destruction, and then all the other big guys at the top say the same thing until they speak a non-existence into a reality. Uh, this is how it's done. But back in the 50s and 60s, the, the envelope was pushed through entertainment. And if we look prior to that era, the male characters in movies um, were masculine. They were masculine men who didn't play little games, didn't act like children caught in some guilty act when they were confronted by their wife or their girlfriend, as they do in all the comedies and so on that have been put out since. Um, they had people like uh, the male character in Gone with the Wind, who, when the head game starts, he says, well, frankly, Scarlet, I don't give a damn. And he was quite cool and calm and collected. And Hollywood put out that type because they needed that kind right up into the Second World War. That's why you were given that stereotype, that character to, to emulate as a hero-type figure. The quiet man who, who was always reserved but made the right decisions and uh, was under control and respected. Then it suddenly changed, you see, after World War II. And stepping up into the 50s with the music scene coming on, as they really gave a music, a separate musical sphere for, for teenagers, we see something interesting happening. And this was discussed in books on the subject back at the beginning of the 20th century in communist writings this very technique to be used on the young with the use of music to implement thoughts and agendas. So in the 50s and 60s, we changed from the regular kind of male entertainer in, in, in music 
and in acting. And then we got the the skinny guy, you know, with the drain pipe trousers, they call them. And we see with Buddy Holly and different ones that came out of nowhere were heavily backed. And I always find there's a story behind the one that's given. But for this particular period, the object of marrying or mating up to marry was altered carefully, quietly, uh, to, to redefine the position of the men. And it was done with the introduction, the introduction of certain words which alters the perception of the totality of the person. We find that in the songs you don't find the, the man singing about the girl or the girl singing about the man. Suddenly everything became baby. They called everybody baby. Now, in psycholinguistics, regardless of what you think it means superficially, because people don't think beyond the superficial that hits them, it wasn't just mean, meaning that you're cute. A baby is still a baby. A, a baby is a, a young, immature human being. And a baby is a helpless thing. A baby has no maturity uh, and no real decision-making as, as we would say, in a social structure, it can't do it. It's too young, too immature. Now think of the, the words in the upcoming song and analyze it, because if the woman was truly serious, which is not, of course, this is all part of the, the agenda, if she was truly serious about what she's saying, she's not looking for the mature existing, the quiet, mature, um, well-informed male. She's looking for a child, in a sense. But not a child just to take care of. Uh, as a child that she would end up being married with. Well, how long can you carry on calling the person you're living with and growing with and, and getting older with a baby? A baby, you know. And not just a baby, but a, a little baby. Psycholinguistics at work. We end up humming the songs, singing the songs, toddlers sing them. It alters perception. It alters the reality. And it becomes the new reality. of brand new magazines just appeared on the shelves heavily backed professional companies behind them now it's been admitted that some of these were CIA backed and probably owned in fact but at the time in the 50s, 60s and 70s increasing on, on upwards 90 odd percent of all magazines were aimed at women because as I say in psychology which is well understood women can be changed easier than the male in a cultural sense. They're more apt to try something new. And there was a plethora, mass, a mass uh, avalanche of experts on every topic imaginable and at the time even unimaginable telling people how to behave, what their sexual life should be like like what, what their uh, relationship should be, what a man should be, what a woman should be. A never-ending, never-ending babble by experts. Now tie that back to, to the impact of science on society by Lord Bertrand Russell, the big key player 
along with Huxley and the Tavistock Institute for World Agendas and World Culture Alterations. When he said much of this, this stuff, uh, he, he talked about the, the alteration of culture through the use of experts, training society uh, that, that nothing is of any value unless it's said by an expert. It resulted to stop us thinking for ourselves. And he said that one day, uh, a woman wouldn't be able to change the diaper on the child without expert advice. And that's happened. That's actually happened. And now, of course, people don't even know how to cook anymore. It, it's male or female. It's terrible. But that's, that's the reality we live in. Expert advice on everything. And this was to alter culture and to make everyone dissatisfied with their own particular situation in society. So the man stopped being the hero type figure, the leader, the one who was quiet and calm, made decisions. That's, just, that's, the, that's the stereotype perfection, which probably never existed either, at least not on, on the whole, because most men were under the same system, working for the system, and therefore subservient to the system. But that was a stereotype they had to look up to, was the one who was quiet and calm and collected and didn't blurt out his emotions. And all these magazines in the 50s onwards, 60s, 70s, 80s to the present time, started looking, talking about the man with, who, who was sensitive and, and yet strong, who, who could cry and yet laugh. And uh, all these opposites mixed into the one heavily push this, this this kind of stuff. And if old Joe there was uh, the quiet guy who came home and, and spoke when spoken to and was reserved, well, suddenly he was abnormal, according to the magazines. And this created that dissatisfaction in, in his mate, you see, because she was after uh, a fictional perfection uh, that was getting broadcast through through television and talk shows and magazines. What she was looking, and when you ask them, really, what uh, many women, even today, uh, what, what, why they married a certain person, often the answer is, well, he made me laugh. He made me. La what a what a reason to get married. He made me laugh. You see. So they want a sensitive, but strong, a firm but yielding. Um, who will cry occasionally, um, and who can la make them laugh, male. They're, they're looking for a, a sort of manic, depressive circus clown. A and this is why they can't find all of that in one person, because they'd have to be terribly unstable. Or maybe on Prozac or something. But this is the nonsense that's been fed. People are being indoctrinated and have been indoctrinated to make them terribly unhappy because society uh, must alter all of the old ways to bring in the new world order, the new world order for the new era where there is no marriage. The government wants direct contact with the individual. They don't want a family in the way or family members in the way. They don't want the remnants of any clan system that might exchange ideas amongst themselves and say, well, hey, this isn't right. No, they want you, like Orwell's 84, to be quivering, waiting for them, the government, to, who is always watching you, the individual, to, to send their contacts directly to you, and you have no one to, to share your thoughts with. You'll be isolated, socially isolated. That's the technique that's been used. Now, what did men get during this time? Well, they came, as I say, from the old style, the hero type, the quiet one, which was fictional, uh, at least in, in the perfection that they showed. And it, because everyone who is subservient in a system cannot be, uh, he, he can't guide his own life. He's still got to go along with the rules laid out that he was born into, the system that he was born into. But it began to change into this silly, immature-type character. And I must admit, I didn't watch comedies much. They replay a lot of the old ones today on television. And it's really phenomenal to watch this debasement of the male, who's always a silly little man, no matter 
a little boy really, no matter how old he is, who's obsessed with sports, who's always lying like a child and getting up to no good, and he's treated like a child by the family, the children and the wife. This is the new role model. It's, uh, it's quite amazing to see how this has actually worked in society until men are floundering. Uh, they don't know what they are. They have no guideposts. And, and with the single-parent families, which again were heavily, massively pushed, um, because no one can really be... Uh, no person who doesn't understand this can be happy with a partner. The system is geared to make you unhappy with everything, with, with everything that you buy. is not enough. It makes you happy for five minutes, then you have to buy something else. If capitalism, as it's pushed, worked, we'd all have all that we needed. The last thing that you bought would have been make, made you happy forever, but it doesn't. It's a big lie. They sell you mythologies and fantasy. But the partner you're with would also be the one that you would be bonding to but here you have how many thousands of magazines and talk shows telling you that you can't be happy because this and this and this makes it so. It's a war, an ongoing war, where neither male nor female benefits. It's not meant to benefit the people at the bottom. There's always an ongoing war, like the war room that they have in the Skull and Bones temple. It's actually called the war room. And it isn't just war of the elite families to take over the natural resources of the world. That is one part of it. They've been doing that for centuries. It's also a war, a constant war on the public, man, woman of all ages, all age groups. It's a constant, ongoing war. And that is why people cannot possibly be content within the structure, bad as it is, they can find no peace within themselves. And if you find no peace within yourselves and your anchors are all broken and you're floundering in the seas, the, you, you get tossed all over the place with all the things that are told that they pretend will make you happy. There's nothing on television that is real. Nothing. Look at Dr. Phil, the magician. The magician who comes on like a like a superstar, and everybody howls and screams as he comes on the stage, and he sort of walks in that stiff way of his. And he solves everybody's problems in an hour. On, on TV, that is. It's not real. It's not real. And look at all the backup staff to do all the investigations, preliminary stuff, and yada, 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 to make you think that the man, the man has going to sort it out. And what is sorting it all about? Well, he's trying to make a couple fit in to a pre-existing system where we, we expect through movies, etc., to have a happy ending. So when the couple are breaking up, no matter what's happening, the idea is to keep them together and, and, and keep the misery going on forever and ever. And, and believe you me, that is the worst thing you could possibly do. But that's what psychiatry's function is. Psychiatry... And psychiatrists are trained that when the patient comes in suffering from whatever he's suffering from, you medicate them and all the rest of it. They don't do so much psychotherapy as they used to. They rely mainly on various drugs and, and so on because the stress of modern living, again, the floundering on the high seas with no anchors, um, you're cut off from your old culture, your purpose, your direction. Uh, and so their job, the psychiatrist's job, is to tranquilize you initially, to take the fears away through chemicals. And, and then once you're out in society, you'll tick off. You'll tick off all the things that you're now doing. Are you having sex again? I, I, are you interested? Are you, you know, and um, are you back at work? Are, are you purchasing things? And you listen to this kind of stuff. Uh, you put your goals are. Well, I want to buy a new car. I want to get another house. I want to... So all the things that destroyed you in the system and made you ill, um, he, he will, if you're back doing the same things again, he'll put you down not as cured, but at least you know, the closest thing to cured. You're doing all the right things, which are the system's way of, of 
taking it off as normal. We're not living in a normal society. The purpose of life for the individual has to be sought out. It actually has to be mined. It's almost like being a deep sea diver. You have to go down into the depths to find yourself. And in the most ancient times to the present, and it's been above many temples in old times, was know thyself. That's the first prerequisition to, to higher learning. Know thyself. And people say, well, I know myself. They don't know themselves at all. They are composites of their indoctrinations. They are composites of the culture they're born into and the system they're born into. It's like many fragments put together. They, they, they don't know what motivates them themselves. They're totally unaware of external motivations acting upon them. And in psycholinguistics, the terminology itself is a prime factor. When we think of the thousands and thousands of sounds in nature and the thousands and thousands of words going into millions of words if we take other languages into account, sound is just a form of communication to put abstract thoughts into forms which we can exchange and communicate with each other and understand what the person means. And yet, when we find ourselves responding emotionally to a word or words or a string of words, we've, we've already been conditioned. We're having an emotional response to what really is just a sound. All it took to have someone killed at the stake and burned in the Middle Ages was the cry, the accusation. The cry itself was the accusation of which or devil worshipper or Satanist. That's all it took. We found the same thing in, in, uh, with heretic, the word heretic. It closed down all of your defenses. You couldn't say, you couldn't respond to it because in the listener and in the person accused, it created an emotional response. In the accused, they felt guilt for something they hadn't done and terror and fear because they were accused with such a grave accusation, a sound. And in those who were the accusers and the mob itself, a pure hatred for something that they would respond to with rage, something or somebody who was different, or at least having been accused, the accusation was your condemnation. This is used today in psycholinguistics to separate peoples and individuals from one another. It takes a very, a very self-aware, mature person to withstand accusations and the isolation they will feel as they progress through this matrix into the higher matrix. Because there's more than one, you see. There's more levels here of deception than meets the eye. Even with those who help and understand some of this in the mid-level, they're still just mid-level. They don't understand the higher sciences at the, at the top level. And so even within the bottom, middle, and top level, I categorize them in stages like the bottom floor. They're in the floor level. Those are in the air, stage one, who are, understand so much. And there's still those at the ceiling level, but still stage one matrix, who think um, along the ways of their authorized patriots that the country's just been taken over now, it's just happening now and your system's being destroyed. It wasn't their system before. That's the clue. That's the big kicker. When you understand that completely and you don't emotionally respond to the tribal emblems and phrases and catchphrases that you've been conditioned with, then you might get into the second floor and start there on the ground level of understanding. 
tremendous sciences behind this. But it takes a terribly mature person not to fold a person who will constantly self-examine themselves to find out what they're still holding on to, what beliefs they still have, um, what societal conditioning is still holding them uh, together, what's combating them, what's, what's at, at war within themselves is motivating them. You have to be able to withstand so much to go higher and very few people decide to make that journey up the mountain. Day after day Alone on a hill The man with the foolish grin Is keeping perfectly still But nobody wants to know him They can see that he's just a fool And he never gives an answer But the fool on the hill Sees the sun going down and the eyes in his head See the world spinning round Well on the way Head in a cloud A man of a thousand voices Talking perfectly loud But nobody ever hears him Or the sound he appears to make Seems to notice But the fool on the hill Sees the sun going down And the eyes in his head See the world spinning round When major changes are occurring Or being introduced, rather, into a society From the top they're introduced along with reassurance, the terminology of reassurance of the existing culture or idealization of that culture. And this is a form of positive reinforcement. They find that if you introduce something directly opposite to the existing system, there's always a counterforce, a counterbalance arises that's why they train people in advance to become the leaders of those forces which lead you in circles. But if the people have been lulled to, to sleep or the, the propaganda has worked very well through positive reinforcement, and by that I mean everything is just going fantastically well. The economy is booming. We're the most uh, powerful country in the world. And Britain had that in its old empire days even when people were uh, scraping for firewood through depressions and so on, this propaganda keeps going. And it's amazing how people will deny their own sensibilities and reality, their personal reality, and go along and think there's something wrong with them because I should be up there enjoying all this prosperity. This is positive reinforcement which overrides uh, the personal evaluation. So when big changes are happening from the top down, positive reinforcement comes to its peak because there generally is no counterforce or very little or very weak counterforce to oppose it. It's a false sense of security which is used by all governments and definitely the empire builders which move around from place to place and create new empires down through the ages. Uh, a simple example of this positive reinforcement, uh, if a government needs to raise taxes, for which they always do for their new schemes, ongoing schemes, and their own personal pay packets too, which are ever-increasing, which expand at the same pace as bureaucracies, uh, they can get a reaction from the citizenry. This always says, well, well, we'll vote you out. We'll get a new party in and all that nonsense, which they're used to because they run on both sides of it. So rather than, than simply bring forth a tax, they bring through a, a lotto. That this is the common thing today. 
Uh, they've even tried fees. Before you already paid for things for your motor vehicle licensing, your road taxes, and well, now you pay fees for things on top of what you're already paying, and that's just another tax you see hidden. It doesn't create the reaction because, because again, the use of terminology alters perception. And if they want to raise taxes without uh, having any big counter control or, or uh, coming at them, they can create a lotto and really hype it up. And believe it or not, there's just as much force and persuasion behind that as there would be against the threat of law used against the individual who didn't pay a particular tax. It's just as powerfully effective and the people are being controlled just as much as they, they would have been if force had been threatened to get the money from them. The control of behavior is often disguised and concealed under education or psychotherapy, religion, uh, under teaching, um, sometimes under the name of a therapist or a priest or a, a counselor, uh, rather than use the term manager, because really they're all managers of the system. So by the use of terminology alteration, the perception of management is being hidden. Uh, generally, social proposals within society will omit any reference to the means. They'll use speeches which appeal to an emotion within a person um, and or the rationalization in the scientific age where they'll say we have to better utilize human resources uh, rather than say manage because we're all being managed within the system. Many people ask, how is it possible for this agenda to never lose control? A simple and maybe overused example is that of Adam Weishaupt, only one member of a multi-faceted society in one particular era who talked about the creation of foundations, benevolent foundations. So once again, the term benevolent makes anyone who thinks of attacking it think twice. It's kind of like attacking mum's apple pie. We find the same thing said in Albert Pike, the, the, the Pope of Freemasonry in the late 1800s, who said that we must climb and conquer throughout life we must, he's talking about the, the boys at the top, or at least the, the, their workers, that is, because the ones at the top are the lazy boy, they don't work. But those who do all the work, um, the bees, was referred to by Pike when he said, we must do it through thrift and cunning and even using the stock market, manipulating it, basically, to acquire the wealth, to become the masters over the masters of the world. And what he meant by that was the creation of vast foundations. We find that we have more cultural change, more direction, planned direction for the next few centuries, uh, have already been done in fact, by societies which are foundations, uh, apart from the ones that train students even from university to take part in that, like the Rhodes Foundation, that's only one of many you also have the Carnegie and Ford, uh, Rockefeller, and there's other ones under the Rothschilds, under the other big bankers, international bankers, under different disguised names, where they guide the world towards the path, along the path they, they already own, basically. We're on their path. The Council on Foreign Relations is another one, a society which is only the American branch of the Royal Institute of International Affairs, founded by Rockefeller, a Rothschild, and Beers, and, and uh, Cecil Rhodes, and others, big players, and eventually joined by other big societies in Britain, 
they plan our world. They planned the amalgamation of the Americas. They planned the amalgamation of Europe. They planned the amalgamation into a region for the Pacific countries. They planned this as far back as the late 1800s, and they wrote about it. And Karl Marx wrote about it too in the mid-1800s, before they did, in fact. We're living an agenda. We're living an agenda written by very powerful people who belong to secret societies. They've all gone through the degrees of Freemasonry. They've climbed above the degrees that the general public know of. And they've been tested all along the way for their ability to maintain secrets to the grave. I think a tremendously telling statement was given by by Toynbee, uh, Alfred Toynbee, Arnold Toynbee of Oxford, who when speaking at, and this is a man who trained road scholars for world social changes, directed changes, it is one of his main speeches he gave in uh, one of the Scandinavian countries, I think it was Sweden, in about 1932, he said, we always deny with our lips that which we do with our hands. And we find that technique is used by them all right up to the present. It's only recently the Council on Foreign Relations committees have come out on mainstream television as a council an unelected council, by the way, they, they are not subject to being voted in or out by the public, but they are shaping the public's lives for them, and populations of whole countries are being shaped by them in a pre-arranged agenda. Uh, and it's done through mass persuasion on the public. The media is an essential arm of this guidance, this control. It could not be done without it. That's why, with the Council on Foreign Relations, the ones that the public will see, the members that the public see, are generally uh, journalists, high journalists, or, or newspaper owners, uh, or owners of television stations, uh, the media business. That's their job. And the reason this can go on unimpeded generation after generation is that foundations last longer than individual people. How many people complete even the projects they would like to complete in their lifetime? But the foundations are almost eternal and they have incredible wealth to back them up. And in this system Money is the key to control of the entire system, the economic system. So with the money and with the logistics and the think tanks and the specialists, they can motivate society intergenerationally in particular directions, pre-planned and the scientifically induced opinions, emotions, and so on, will be regurgitated by an indoctrinated public. It's very simple. If you have all the money in the world, the outlet to all the media in the world, access, and you have the techniques to put it across scientifically, and through entertainment, as well as propaganda documentaries. To make matters worse, it isn't simply the massive onslaught of downloading the public with new data designed to alter their behavior, to modify it, as they call it. We are now into an age where they're using technological weapons uh, psychotronic weaponry, uh, much discussed uh, at high level warfare departments of every nation, 
because they knew a long time ago that the, the mind, on a very easy, simple level, could be induced through through the, the beaming out of particular frequency waves. It could easily affect the moods of the people. They knew that it's been well tested, well proven, now it's being used in, in reality on nations to pacify them. They can make them either very aggressive or very pacified simply now, even just with the harp technology alone. And there are other technologies beyond just the harp technology. They're far more specific in what parts of the, the mind or the brain they want to target. And they're not testing it out. Whatever they're doing works. They know what to expect when they, when they do this. This is a really old hat. Uh, prior to all this kind of technology, the psychologists used to try and explain behaviorism uh, almost like they did with, with the, the era of mass production in a mechanical way. And now it's gone beyond that into the electronic way. Um, we know that the mind runs on chemicals. It depends upon them, electrochemical impulses and different frequencies, and different frequencies within parts of the brain, different, all varying. Uh, they've all been well gone over. Every part of your, your cerebrum has gone over, well understood. And we can be targeted, uh, going as far back as, as uh, uh, Bell, his, his father. Alexander Graham Bell's father was working on remote means of inducing words into the human brain um, through sound vibrations and actually through electronic vibrations, a, a form, an early form of technotronic manipulation. They've been at this for not an awful long time. They have used this in Gulf War I on, on the, the various Arab soldiers who came out of their trenches and were weren't shell-shocked, they were simply stunned because it had been used on them, and it was admitted in the British newspapers that this technology had been used on them. We find the Soviets had boxes, little boxes on the teacher's desk, which could induce an attentive response from the students. It would relax them to an extent where the, where the teacher was more, talking more like the hypnotist, and getting the points straight into the, the, the minds of the youngsters. This was standard procedure in the Soviet system. In the West, because we're free, they have to hide all of this technology, and we know they were using it in many of the New Age uh, foundation groups, uh, putting the same technology in the walls even, so that you were guaranteed your your personal experience with God, and he might even talk to you. This is the same type of uh, technology shown by Dr. Nick Biggage, um, where he showed on CBC Canada, on the Wendy Mesley show, technology which could induce thoughts or sounds right into the brain itself, bypassing the ears. From the 1950s, technology used by the CIA and is now obsolete. Know thyself is the point, getting back to it. Know thyself. What are you? Who are you? What is motivating you? Where do your opinions, your prejudices come from? Who gives them to you? What camp do you allow yourself to be put into? Uh, where there's a leader that says he or she speaks for me. Are you really a sovereign thinking individual? Are you honest with yourself? The fear of cultural change is what reinforces a predominant group. And those who have most to lose will support that as it goes under, in fact, often in denial. 
definitely always in anger when they see what they have become used to in their lifetime being changed. So self-interest is a big part of it too. The trick of the manipulators of this system is to give a perception that some other group is raising up above you, therefore threatening your existence. And so you'll spend your energies trying to counter what you see as that group, and you'll never see the puppet masters above them who fund the whole thing. And to hate, as I say, to hate brings on to the hater the characteristics of the one they hate. It's an interesting observation that many women who were bombarded with the power trip of feminism, which again did not have come from the grassroots, it doubled the tax base, it split the families, it's been great business for therapists and cult groups and all types of new age gurus who pretend they have the answers to their unhappiness. But many of them who became, who tried the lesbian movement, why would you try and become the very thing that you hate? Think about it. Think about it. Because of the very sciences that the behaviorists are involved in, and because, as in all sciences, they have their founding tenets of belief, and they believe in evolution, big bangs, adaptation, readaptation, and on and on it goes, they try to see humanity and animals all lumped into the one system where you exist simply for your own, own self-preservation and that everything to do with a system over that individual self-preservation is called society and that there is always a dominant elite running the society that's never ever countered. They accept that as a, a norm. Of course, the intellectuals would like themselves to be part of the, the dominant elite, but many of them lack the finances to do so, so they become good little lackey boys and girls to the real controllers above them. They all deny, because they look upon the, the physical being as purely physical, they, not, they deny it as spiritual value. And certainly, religion has been one of the most powerful tools done through the centuries for control mechanisms by the dominant elite. However, th there is obviously something beyond all of this which frightens them, in fact, because it's something which they cannot study or even come close to with their sciences. There's something that intervenes occasionally in someone's life, and no matter how they try to use psychothermic uh, verbiage, they can't really come to believe the fact that this is an odd thing outside of their science. To admit to it is to admit that they do not control everything, and they themselves like to have everything tidy and categorized and pigeonholed which makes them feel secure, which then leads you to believe that they themselves are in a structured belief system. If an individual can break through all of this, all of this, that's a miracle in themselves. If they can accept the fact they will be ostracized by those who are still in the old matrix, and if, and if they are strong enough to handle that, then they will actually go higher. Things happen to them without joining cults and groups, and the, the, the and without falling into this, the standard trap of taking your old baggage, your old format of a worldview with all of its old religious values into another one. That's the standard trap they fall into. 
and so they take the certain cultural values, institutional values of the old religion and bring it into the new. So they were shopping for something with those similar values. That's why they can't go any further, and that's why they become fantastically indoctrinated by the authorized New Age religion, which was begun in the eight, actually in the 1700s and pushed to its limit uh, at the present time. Until it's normal to hear people talking about uh, rattling their chakras and and uh, doing their little uh, ritualistic meditations with certain sequences, which they try and pretend they're all scientific. It's amazing how science comes into it, um, as though science was going to be their great redeemer. Science might help if it was ever allowed to or practiced on the public in a medical uh, field value, it might help certain ailments if we were ever to be given the real stuff, which we won't be. Um, but it certainly doesn't bring a person closer to a meaning, a purposeful life or existence for themselves. And yet here they are trying to find scientific ways to rationalize their, their New Age religions and uh, so many, and they've wrapped in, of course, the whole wellness. Now, this new terminology again, this new uh, term, well, how is your wellness today? Well, my wellness is very good. How is yours? Uh, something that the United Nations said a few years ago they would promote as they turn the general public back to old herbs and so on, which might have worked, at least the old ones did, <clears throat> that have been used for thousands of years. They worked on, on old natural diseases, whereas all the modern ones are man-induced or created in laboratories. But they want the public uh, to start taking lower forms of medicine because they want to depopulate rapidly. So they create a religion around herbalism. And you'll find people within this movement who believe everything they're told that comes out of all the magazines, and the experts in the fields who are always selling them new types of grass to chew on or whatever, and promising them to, you know, extend your life, live forever, make you young again, all the stuff that, that, that they've done throughout the, the ages with religion, the fountain of youth, because people are exploited in their fear of death. This, these series of talks are not meant to give you gloom and doom, but to see the, the brightness, you have to go through the darkness. And uh, you, you, there's no way of skipping around it. You can't skirt around the edges. There are no edges. It's a solid wall. You've got to get through it and before you start climbing above. And then there is purpose for you. There is meaning in life. And the fears will leave. Don't react to the fear mongers all around you who are authorized to be there to keep you into a stampede of panic. Accept the fact that we've always been managed. It doesn't mean we'll always be managed, but we've always been managed, and they are, they, the same managers or their descendants are in control today. Only by coming through the maze of indoctrination and conditioning can an individual break through into self-awareness? Tonight, I leave you with a, a song by Weird Al Yankovic, the genius of perception. So when you've eaten all your chocolates and you feel bad about doing it, or you're sitting there with all your, like a billboard with your, 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 your Gucci clothes and your your brand name hat and sweater and track pants and all the stuff you're supposed to have as a good corporate owned citizen. When you've done it all and you still feel that big emptiness within, there's nothing left for it, is there? You just got to click on that computer. Get into the internet and if you can't afford the new and keep up with the Joneses and pretend to your neighbors, maybe you can get it used. Maybe that will... um bring you happiness, eh? After all, isn't that what every ad tells you? 
If you have this, you'll be happy. Good night. And may your God or gods go with you. Yeah. A used pink bathrobe, a rare mean snow globe, a smurf TV tray I bought on eBay. My house is filled with. This crap shows up in bubble wrap most every day. What I bought on eBay. Tell me why I need another pet rock. Tell me why I got that alpha alarm clock. Tell me why I bid on Shatner's old toupee. Is liable to snipe you with two seconds left to go. Whoa, got PayPal or Visa, whatever will please ya, as long as I've got the dough. I'll buy your tchotchkes, sell me your watch, please. I'll buy. I'll buy. 